The Bite Goes On is up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. This week on the podcast, it's all about tacos. Breakfast tacos, puffy tacos, even a Jewish deli pastrami taco. Smoked pastrami taco. Neither of them come on rye tortillas, which I really want. <laughs> I think it'd be perfect. With a pickle spear? <laughs> <laughs> Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with my good friend, Sandra Bernstein. How are you doing today, Sandra? Good, Brian. How are you? Good. We got, um, we got Christmas coming up, so we thought it'd be fun to talk about a luxury product that most people, um, you know, sort of crave around these days. So um, I'll let you go ahead and do the introduction. Well, I would like to, I don't, I'm not going to be able to pronounce your last name. Everybody calls it just Octavio. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So we have Otto from Pacific Plaza Imports and Sar Nikolai Caviar. Um, that's how I know him best. Um, few, God, I don't know, year and a half, two years, we had a beautiful uh, tasting at Walt Wines. We were working on one of their, they were working on a pairing thing. And I think, I think my brother and I just happened to be there and lucked into enjoying whatever you guys were doing. I, I think it was random. And then um, my brother went a little crazy one year and sent us gifts. That was over the top. Amazing. Um, but welcome. Thank you so much. I know this is probably your very busiest time of the year. It is, but uh, thank you for uh, inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. And I hope that I will be able to answer your questions. And uh, maybe, just maybe, uh, your listeners uh, will uh, believe that there is a need for caviar during holiday season. Especially this year. I think we need things that make us feel good more than ever. We certainly need that. Yes. Now, Sandra, I have a question. When you talk about you were at Walt Wines, I, don't, I traditionally think of caviar with vodka or sparkling wine, but I don't think Walt produces either one of those things no we did it with their chardonnay oh. um yeah it was lovely chardonnay okay. works very well we we actually pair caviar at several wineries with chardonnay so uh, yes it is not vodka and it is not uh, sparkling wine wine or french champagne but it works very well yeah, it okay. was delicious. It was delicious. And and also that, was it the sturgeon? The yeah, actual the fish? Sturgeon. Oh my God, that, that was, I mean, my mouth is starting to salivate right now, starting to think about it. But caviar is an interesting thing. Like when, when did it kind of start being something that people would use as a celebration? I mean, does it go really far back? Well, uh, it does. Um, and we have to understand that basically there are two um, several points uh, um, when we are talking about spreading uh, the uh, use of caviar. And one, of course, is the traditional 
area, which is the Caspian Sea and Black Sea. But the other one is United States. And as a tidbit, uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, United States was uh, one, if not the largest exporter of caviar. Mm. Uh, basically, we are talking about the Atlantic sturgeon. We are not talking about the white sturgeon, the Pacific sturgeon. And uh, in all of the <clears throat> saloons, caviar was given away free to entice people to drink more just like today they are doing with pretzels or with peanuts. So uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was something very common. Unfortunately, overfishing almost uh, killed all of the Atlantic sturgeon. And only now, a hundred years later, the fish is coming back. But uh, who made really caviar so glamorous? Well, I would say that now, again, we jump to the other pole and we are going to uh, the Caspian and the Black Sea. And we are talking about the Russian nobility who, especially after the first war, emigrated en masse, uh, mostly to France and uh, in Paris. A uh, uh, hundred years ago, uh, uh, the Petrosian family actually established uh, the first uh, uh, important uh, caviar company. And the combination between uh, the Russian nobility and, of course, uh, the French uh, uh, culinary savvy um, created uh, the, uh, this notion of uh, caviar for the elite. Of course, it was always for the elite mostly because, for example, in Russia, the beluga caviar was only available for the Tsar. I mean, the fisherman could be killed if he was caught that he's taking home the beluga and eating the beluga caviar. The rest uh, of the sturgeon was okay for the fishermen to take home, but not the beluga. So now here we are in, in Paris, uh, of course, uh, homeland of uh, Champagne, and, uh, and now with blinis and creme fraiche, caviar became really an item uh, that was always found at uh, the elite parties. So this is really the beginning. So yeah, so for a long time. Well, I can understand definitely the Russian nobility and, you know, I mean, how fun to do like shots of like really gorgeous vodka and, you know, little bumps of caviar. But I like think about it like they would have huge mounds of it on like a buffet. Oh my God. Yes, they certainly had. Yeah. So how did you get in the caviar business? Well, basically, uh, our business uh, was started by a family, and it's still a family business. And uh, uh, the founder uh, came from uh, Iran, from Persia. And as we know, uh, Persia borders the southern portion of uh, Caspian Sea. Mm -hmm. And it is said that basically the best caviar in the Caspian Sea is in the southern portion, the, the Iranian portion of the sea. Uh, why? Uh, because uh, maybe the climate is a little bit different. It's already warmer uh, somewhat than in the northern part of the Russian, well, the Soviet, because now it's not just uh, Russia, because now it's Azerbaijan, now it's uh, Russia, now it's uh, um, basically Turkmenistan, um, Kazakhstan. So we are now several, um, countries that border the, uh, the Caspian Sea. But in the beginning, it was really the Russian Empire, and it was Persia on the south side. Uh, 
also in the northern part of Caspian Sea, there is a lot of um, uh, oil production. So uh, you go to like Baku and uh, you go on the beach and you actually see oil patches on the sea. Uh, the southern portion of the sea is much cleaner. So basically it is considered that the best caviar in the world is the caviar coming from Persia. So here we have a gentleman that obviously had plenty uh, time to indulge himself with, with caviar. And, uh, and then he had to emigrate uh, because of the uh, revolution that happened in 1979. He lost everything that he had over there um, and he had to uh, start again in the United States. Uh, after a few years, then of course he had to uh, sort of um, uh, make a footing over here. He started the company and ever since the company is growing and now uh, we are one of the premier uh, uh, caviar companies in the United States. Furthermore, uh, we are more than that because we are producers. Mm -hmm. So we have the second oldest sturgeon farm in the United States and probably the second largest, that there are really no um, data because uh, all these companies are basically private. So you don't really know much about the caviar companies. But uh, we, we assume that we are the second largest sturgeon farm in the United States. Uh, by the way, um, sturgeon farming started in California. And again, we go back to, to Russia because there was a Russian scientist uh, that emigrated uh, uh, and came to California, and uh, he was a, a specialist, a professor, uh, and specialist in, in, in sturgeon. Uh, of course, he studied the, uh, the sturgeon of, uh, of Caspian Sea, and he came over here. He was hired immediately at UC Davis. His name was Dorshoff, and he started uh, studying the American white sturgeon, or we like to call them California white sturgeon, uh, which uh, st is still plentiful in the Sacramento Basin, and then, of course, in the other river basins on the West Coast. And uh, so after a few years, he, with his help, the uh, sturgeon farming industry started. We couldn't have anything today without his help. So he had the first farm, he had the second farm, and so on, until really... California and specifically the Sacramento area became the most important sturgeon farming area in the country. And not only not only did UC Davis, I think, assist with the fish, but also the farming, the aquaponics um, portion of the, the farming as well. Well, we talked a little bit about sturgeon farming in general. But now if we are talking about our own farm, we are working with UC Davis on a day-to-day -day basis. And they are helping us not only with fish farming, but also with, as you said, aquaponics, because we are one of the only farms. And by the way, our farm is an eco-certified sturgeon farm. We are the only eco-certified sturgeon farm in the United States. So uh, in addition, what we do is we take the wastewater uh, from the fish tanks and we are using it in an aquaponics system uh, and we have a big greenhouse where everything happens and we are certified organic producers of uh, um, botho lettuce. Uh, 
uh, our butter lettuce is to be found in several stores. Uh, and I just give you a few. Uh, you can find it in Rayleigh's. You can find it in some of the Whole Foods stores and so on. So, uh, and with this, again, we are unique, uh, not only in the United States, but actually worldwide, uh, because we are the only ones using sturgeon as a source of the nutrients in the aquaponic system. Uh, and it, it, what is really interesting is that we took this whole concept from the other end as versus all the other aquaponic companies because they were farmers and they wanted an aquaponic system and then they needed nutrients. So for them, the fish was an afterthought and it was only and only a source of the nutrients. Mm. So they had to learn how to farm fish in order to get nutrients for the culture. For us, it's, it's exactly the opposite thing because we do have the sturgeon farm and we had the wastewater full with nutrients and we had to find a way to utilize it because we do not want to waste anything that comes out of our farm. As a matter of fact, uh, we are smoking our fish, as you can, uh, you know very well. Uh, we also are working on a fish sauce. Um, so even the remnants will be used because really we don't want to waste anything. By the way, we are uh, producing our own electricity so we have solar panels, we have the photovoltaic panels. So uh, we, we do not use anything from the grid. Uh, we cannot uh, add to the grid, unfortunately, because the local laws, well, the utility um, companies' laws are such that we cannot produce more than one, what we are utilizing. Mm. But as our needs will grow, obviously we can add more photovoltaic panels to always uh, offset uh, the need of, um, of electricity. So with that, really the only and only element that is introduced uh, to our farm is the feed, the fish feed. And no, we do not want to become a, a feed company because that's mm -hmm. a completely different thing. Uh, we are buying our feed, which is very expensive um, uh, from uh, one of the largest companies in the world very well respected, obviously respected and quality-wise uh, excellent because uh, they passed uh, our uh, eco-certification because obviously as part of the eco-certification, even the feed has to be certified. So really this is the water that we are utilizing basically comes from well water. Well water. We have our own wells on the farm, but uh, we are using the water only to replenish the water that we are losing to evaporation mm. because uh, we have a closed uh, cycle. So basically the water is filtered through the aquaponic uh, operations and then it comes back and then it's mixed with fresh water to replenish the losses to evaporation and goes back into the system. And this is an endless loop. Mm. Also, uh, the, uh, because obviously before the water enters the, the greenhouse for the aquaponic operation, we have to remove the large sediments, the solids. So these are fertilizing our land uh, and we have a, a nice orchard that is growing and uh, it's already giving us a lot more than we can utilize. So whenever we have guests at the farm, 
we are always serving them with vegetables from our farm, with basically uh, fruits uh, from our farm, and of course, fish and caviar from our farm. We also have uh, fun animals, uh, mainly for, um, for kids if they come and visit us. So almost we could say that we have a petting zoo because we have uh, um, sheep and we have goats and we have chicken and we have ponies. So uh, which also all of these animals are enjoying the leftovers from the butter lettuce. So, uh, or the, uh, the fruits and vegetables uh, that uh, are not good enough for human consumption. So we have a, we created a, a beautiful ecosystem. Furthermore, we have an almost four acre pound, uh, a pond, uh, uh, which is covered with uh, water hyacinths. And over here, every year we have more and more families of geese and ducks. I'm talking about the wild ones mm. that um, have their families over there. And it's a beautiful sight in the spring to see them wandering around. And then of course we have a few egrets that are there year round. So really it's, it's a beautiful ecosystem. And then of course we have some grapes over there. We really, we have a beautiful um, uh, tasting facility, which is a, a farmhouse. And it's um, a very nice one where everybody that comes and um, visits our farm at the end will sit down and will enjoy a bountiful um, uh, buffet. Mm, nice. Brian, when are we going? Well, Sandra, I was curious if, if we you are like... invited. So you just tell me when you would <laughs> like to come. As soon as COVID is over. Oh my goodness. Sandra, I was wondering, are you familiar with aquaponics or have you ever seen video of how they do that? No. I mean, I think I've maybe seen a little bit here and there, but I don't think I've really, um, yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it's using, instead of, it's what they call using the medium. So instead of the, your medium, your growing um, base being soil, it's the water. So you actually have the plants sitting in the water with the root structure going down and just absorbing the water and any nutrients and minerals mm -hmm. through there. Um, I, you know, I don't think that they're the first ones to start it, but it's a really interesting process and what the, and the scale that, with which they're doing it um, as well is. Do they do that with oysters too? With oysters? Yeah, the, the water ponics. Oh, aquaponics? No, yeah. no, no, because because what they're doing is taking the 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 reclaimed the reclaimed water and putting it through this system. They're getting the second use out of that water. But in the in the ocean, I think, um, you know, when we talked to um, um, uh, the ladies from uh, Daybreak Seaweed. That, that's a sort of, it's offshore. So it's actually in a, where the water's free flowing. Mm -hmm. um, but this is, this is a, a really interesting process that they're, that they're using because you're getting not only the caviar, but then you're smoking the fish and then you're getting vegetables and fruits. Um, Amazing. All, all, yeah, all being, you know, the base being the, the fish, which is really interesting. So I'm going to, I'm gonna show my ignorance. Um, <laughs> so how big are sturgeons? Well, uh, the American white sturgeon can grow all the way up to 1800 pounds. Oh my God. And how many, um, how many eggs would be in that? 
<laughs> do you ever do like a contest if you can not, if you can guess how many eggs? I'm well, getting... we harvested uh, uh, last year probably the largest fish ever processed in a farm. Of course, before when uh, the sturgeon was caught from the wild, mm. and you had these monster fish once in a while, but ours was like two or three times larger than your average size that you are harvesting. Hmm. So uh, we have three people working on the fish. And I, unfortunately, I cannot show you a picture, hmm. even though I do have it, where the three people working on the fish look like midgets. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, that is so, okay, so... Uh, so the sturgeon is only going to give caviar once. Is that it? Well, yeah. and Sandra, I think it, the, the more interesting thing is to talk about the length of the process because uh, you can't just get a fish and expect to get to get eggs out of it in one year or two years or three years. I mean, it's a it's a really long process. How, how old was that fish? Well, that fish was uh, about 18 years old. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Somehow we missed that fish. <laughs> we missed several times that fish. And actually, it was one of our oldest fish. That was in our uh, regular tank or tanks. Because we do have one tank that we never touch. This is the broodstock tank. Mm -hmm. So over here, we have our giant fish, the females and the males. Mm -hmm. that we use every year for uh, for spawning purposes. So, uh, and, and Brian, you're absolutely right. It takes a lot of years, hence the price of the sturgeon caviar, because uh, we are talking about rows that are basically harvested after months or maybe one, two years. Mm -hmm. uh, sturgeon, the American white sturgeon, uh, will be harvested at a minimum seven, eight years. Wow. Right. So you will have no income outside some very minute um, amounts coming from the male uh, meat that you can actually sell. But other than that, you really have no income for seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. So obviously we are spawning every year. And by the way, this is, again, a phase where at least one professor and a few graduate students are at our farm 24 hours a day. Uh, until basically the uh, uh, eggs will start dividing and we'll, we will say that we have a successful spawn. It's unbelievable to observe how you have these fertilized eggs and how almost immediately they start dividing and growing in volume. And then after a few years, a few days, you will see the tiny little fish coming out and and now you have a, a new sturgeon. You have a new class of you have a new class of fish. These like are tadpoles. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. like that. I remember going to like the the creek as a kid, so we could see the tadpoles. Yes, and we we basically uh, spawn usually about a hundred thousand uh, baby fish. That is amazing. That yeah. is amazing. Yes. And Otto, what, what number ends up being male to female? Does it end up being about 
when you're a little bit less. So I would say that females are about 44, 45 percent. Interesting. Mm. Mm. For general and, and purposes, the answer is yes, 50 50. About, yeah. 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 And now, now, can you talk about the different types of caviar and how the the, the terms relate to the type of fish. People are used to seeing Ocetra, Beluga, Savruga. Well, these were really the three uh, sturgeons that everybody knew. Um, the uh, American white sturgeon was somewhat neglected until uh, really the uh, 90s when uh, the sturgeon farming really started. Yes, we started in the 80s, but uh, only a few farms were started in the 80s. Most of the sturgeon farms were started in the 90s and then in the 2000s. And uh, uh, then in 2006, uh, the ban appeared. So now you couldn't bring in any more uh, wild sturgeon. So now forget about Paluga, forget about Ossetra, forget about Sebuga. And now Basically, everybody was at equal footing because caviar was coming from farms. And, and because of this gentleman from Russia, California had a leg up because it was basically a pioneer. So we were well ahead of other sturgeon farms in the United States or the world. So the California caviar uh, came into being in the 90s. And of course, it didn't really catch on until the ban. But after the ban, uh, people started to taste it more and to like it more. And again, because we started in the 80s, we had more time to learn the ins and outs of sturgeon farming. Plus, we had a very good mentor. So basically, our caviar quality was much higher than coming from other farms, regardless what sturgeon they were farming, but they were novices. Mm -hmm. so, so the quality of our caviar, and I'm not necessarily talking only about our farm, but about the California farms, our quality was much higher than of caviar coming from other farms. So people started really to, to enjoy it and to understand that this is a premium product. And, you know, one of the most rarest, I think the rarest caviar or most expensive caviar in the world is from an albino sturgeon, correct? It is a, it is a, it is a white beluga, correct? The white beluga the, is, the most, is the most expensive caviar. And is that, was that a, a product of breeding or was that just an anomaly when you had an albino sturgeon? It is just uh, it is just in the genetics. You cannot control it. Mm. You actually until you open the fish, you don't know what kind of caviar you will get. Of course, if it's a beluga, you will get beluga caviar, but you don't know what grade. Well, what Second, determines the grade? The white sturgeon. Yes, Sandra. Um, what determines the grade? How do you decide? Every uh, sturgeon farm that makes caviar has their own method of grading caviar. We have ours. So what we do is uh, we use four categories and uh, these are taste, size, texture, and color. 
And for each category, we assign a number that is between zero and four. So basically we could have one caviar that totals 16 points. Mm. So based on, 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 on the total, we will grade the caviar. And obviously caviar that is graded 15 or 16 becomes our crown jewel, which is very, very rare. And it's extremely expensive. In essence, it is the most expensive caviar that you can get in the United States. Our retail price, if you go on our website, you will see that it's $400 an ounce. Wow. What was the fourth category? So it's texture, texture, size, size, color, color, and size, taste. and taste. And taste. Are yeah. there professional caviar tasters? We have our uh, informally we call her our caviar master, mm-hmm. but uh, our uh, lady is making caviar for well over twenty years. And uh, uh, basically, uh, she learned, obviously, just about everything that is to be learned uh, by, by making so much caviar. And she has an absolute, basically, it's almost like a winemaker. Because, you, you know, when you do make wine, you will start uh, um, combining uh, the wine from different lots and whatnot in order to have that perfect balance. But it's almost the same with, uh, with baking caviar, even though we are using the standard amount of salt in order to make the caviar, but she is tasting the roe. And based on each batch, and remember caviar is made fish by fish. So you, you finish making caviar from one fish and then you will go making caviar from another fish. There is no such thing as combining the roe from one fish with, the, with, with another fish. So based on, on, on her taste, on her evaluation, she will increase or decrease the normal salt percentages for that batch. And what type of salt do you use? Where do you get the salt from? We are using sea salt, but for custom curing, we will use, if you would prefer a certain uh, salt, obviously, and you are our uh, customer, obviously we will accommodate you and we will make the caviar with that particular salt. That's cool. We have, we have uh, people that come to us, for example, with uh, a sea salt made by them, also infused, for example, with seaweed. Mm. Seaweed. Or with smoked salt. Smoked salt, yeah. But out of those four categories, what is it that you look for in each one of those four categories? Well, the larger the size, the better. Oh. Okay. Uh, Color, even though we are talking about so-called black caviar, but the lighter the black caviar is, the better. Mm -hmm. And why why is that? It's because of, again, of scarcity. So you will will find a lot fewer fish that will have a lighter caviar than the darker caviar. Mm -hmm. So it's, you are paying, you are paying for the fact that it's so rare. 
That's what happens with the with the with the crown jewel. I mean, not only that you have big uh, uh, egg sizes, but the texture is the best. And then the color, well, with, actually with the crown jewel, the color, it's a little bit different. Uh, and of course the taste has to be the best in, you know, really it has to be the best. But when it comes to our second grade, the golden reserve, that one indeed has to be as light as possible. The crown jewel, doesn't have to be necessary the lightest. With crown jewel, there is something else going on. It's like each and every bead plays in different nuances. So it's like you are looking at the bead and it's not just one color. So the, the, the whole caveat, it's, it's just unbelievable when you look at the jar, you look at the tin, or you look at the spoon that you will just put immediately in your mouth. It's just an absolutely unbelievable sight. It's a very, I mean, your appetite will will grow just by looking at the caviar. No, I'm I'm so ready right now. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard people uh, will compare it to diamonds. There's yes. something. Yeah, I mean, it is one of the most expensive foods that you can get. Yeah, you have white truffles, you have saffron, you have certain caviar. Mm -hmm. I mean, probably these are three of the most expensive foods that you can find. And now people who don't know too much about caviar, tell them, if, tell them why they're getting a spoon when they buy caviar, a special spoon. Well, usually caviar is served with bottle of pearl spoons. Um, basically, let's say what we shouldn't use when we, when we taste caviar. We shouldn't use metallic spoons mm -hmm. because it will impart a metallic taste to the to the caviar. Now many people will ask immediately, okay, but what about the tin? Well, the tin is coated. Mm -hmm. So uh, that will help keep the metallic taste in the tin and not actually uh, permeating the caviar. Mm -hmm. uh, now, what else can you use? And by the way, when it comes to metal, there is one metal that you can actually use. It's gold. Uh, oh, of course. Very popular in Russia. It makes, very, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. And the uh, Trump Tower. <laughs> so, but when we talk about other uh, options, the model of Pearl, it's, uh, it's a very good option because not only that uh, it is neutral, but also it's a beautiful spoon. But if you don't have it, you could use wood, tiny little wooden spoons. You could use uh, spoons made up of horn and probably many other things. And I really don't want to say it, but if you are home and you just don't have anything, a plastic spoon will suffice. Just don't serve anyone with a plastic spoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Is, Those um... are always the... That they're always the most coveted thing in the in the kitchen is the mother of pearl spoons. Whenever someone orders caviar and then someone clears it from the table, the chef always wants to know where is that spoon? Yes, because you don't want it to go to the dishwasher. You don't. You, you want it to be washed by hand, um, and and there's always a special little place for them. That's fine. correct. Yeah. The um so this eighteen. 
thousand eighteen year old sturgeon. Um, you harvest the eggs, and how did that take like a week or a day? I mean, that seems like. Um, <laughs> I just don't know. I'm trying to visualize all of this. We take out the sack, which is full with the eggs. Right. And then we, now we have to understand one thing. Making caviar is a tradition that goes back for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. And nothing really changed. The only thing that changed is the sanitary conditions. What we do is we are using everything stainless steel mm -hmm. and we are sanitizing all the tools between each fish. Mm -hmm. So you take one sack, you make the caviar, you sanitize, wash and sanitize everything, and then you go to the second sack from the second sturgeon. And this happens all throughout harvesting. Now, what do you do basically? You have the sack, you break the sack, you have a stainless steel uh, pole, you have a stainless steel sieve for the little holes. And now you want to start massaging uh, the, uh, the sack. And of course, you are, you are gently, but not so gently because, uh, because the eggs are resilient. So now the eggs will fall through the little holes. And now you have everything in the bowl. And of course, in the room, it's really cold. The water that you are using is, is chilled, it's ice cold. And now you will wash the, uh, the eggs. You will try to, and you will not try, but you will actually remove any impurities that went through the little holes uh, with twizzes. And you will drain the, uh, uh, the eggs. And now you will wait, and now our caviar master will actually salt the batch. Mm. And again, salting, of course, there are two different methods. We are using the salt method. The other method would be the brining method, mm -hmm. but, we are, but we are using the salt method. So we are putting the salt uh, on top of the eggs, and then we'll incorporate it with our hands. Mm -hmm. And really, now you just made caviar. Now you take those big, beautiful tins of four pounds, the 1.8 kilo tins, and you will uh, build a cone um, in, in the tins. And then you will take the lids with are really deep and you will put pressure, you will push down on that cone and that will flatten the surface of the caviar and it will squeeze out the air from the tin. So you are creating a quasi-vacuum. And now you are using those really wide rubber bands that you will put around the tin. <laughs> and the tin goes into your uh, curing room. And over there, it will sit on shelves. And once in a while, they will be turned around. So they will not dry out. And about six to eight weeks, the caviar is ready. Hmm. Now, Sandra, were you, were, <laughs> I just want to clarify, were you thinking that it was sort of like getting eggs from a chicken, that they, the fish was no, going to be- No, Brian! Okay. No, I was thinking it was like, you know, the people that steal people's organs. 
Well, that, no, in essence, for that, medical reasons. Oh, yeah, that's what you're doing. You're cutting the fish open. At that point, the fish is not, you know, after you're collecting the sack, is not um, right. going to go back into the into the pond. Right. <laughs> right. But maybe we should, maybe, Brian, maybe at this point we should talk about the two methods. Okay. Uh, because there are caviar companies, uh, you know, that they are claiming that they are basically making caviar without uh, uh, harvesting the fish. First of all, this is a farming operation, and we are farming the sturgeon in order to give us caviar. And we are talking about us and about most of the other sturgeon farms. Once the caviar is removed and the fish is harvested, the fish will be either smoked and sold or it will be sold as fresh fish. So basically nothing gets wasted. Mm -hmm. uh, and you are eating a very good caviar that is absolutely fresh and it's not tainted by anything. So now let's jump to the other method where they say that why do we have to actually harvest the fish? Why don't we just keep the fish alive? Well, this is why because in order to actually sort of milk the fish and keep the fish alive, the fish will be injected with hormones. Mm. So now you are not killing the fish, but what you are doing is you are making caviar, which is tainted with hormones. Oh. Furthermore, the entire process is really not a pleasant process to the fish. So it's like giving birth, basically. So there's a lot of stress. So the stress also adds to the taste of the, well, actually subtracts from the taste of the caviar and some fish will not make it. Mm -hmm. And again, what do you gain? You do not gain anything because the fish is farmed just like the salmon, just like the trout just like all the other fish that is farmed for human consumption. That's the same with the surgeon. And every morsel of it, it will be utilized, just like I explained what we, what we do at our farm. Mm -hmm. so, so this method really became obsolete. This method, when it started, had real merit because you we were still talking about the wild sturgeon. So you had the opportunity to save a wild sturgeon and let it go back into the wild. And then a few years later to cut that fish again and it would have given you more caviar. But in a farming environment, this method absolutely has no place. Mm -hmm. uh, we, the only fish that we will not harvest are the ones that are in our broodstock tank because these are the best of our fish and we are utilizing them again and again for spawning purposes. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones, they almost look like sharks. They're just enormous. Yes, they are. They are yeah. the, the, the fish that we have in our broodstock, uh, their uh, normal size is between 100 and 200 pounds, but we have several between 200 and 300. And I hope that Next year or the year after, we'll have the first fish that will go over 300 pounds. Wow, wow. What, what other fish, I know you can have salmon roe and trout roe. Um, are there a lot of fishes that are commercially um, 
I don't really know of others. Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, even the lowland pike or carp uh, oh, uh-huh. uh, will have its use because, uh, for example, uh, uh, the, the Nordic people. I'm talking about Europe, or the uh, people from the Eastern Europe. They all utilize uh, these roes to prepare a sort of, and I will use the Greek term for it, the uh, taramo salata. Uh, of course, not everybody calls it that. That's the uh, Greek term for it. But basically, it's still, it's almost the same process. Making a spread out of it that you just basically, either you use it as a dip or you just uh, uh, put it on, on, on a slice of toast mm. and, and then you just enjoy it. Uh, people from, from uh, these parts of Europe really, really like it. And for, for, for this uh, particular application, you don't need a high-value uh, row. So these, these cheap rows will be just fine to use. Mm-hmm. And then what about Batarga? Batarga really is uh, it's, uh, it's cured in its own sack. That's what Batarga okay. is. Okay. Most of the Batarga, it's, uh, it's uh, mullet or tuna. Mm. Uh, and what you do is you t- you take the uh, the sack out full with the uh, the roll, and you will cure it, and it will in time it will dry, and then when you are using it, actually you are shaving it, right. almost like you would shave truffles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our chefs really like that. Seem to end up with batarga on things. Yeah, I mean there is nothing wrong with it. It's like a nice salty, yeah, like, yeah seasoning. Unami. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, it's fascinating, really. But I think what's so impressive about um, Sar Nikolai is that, you know, you have like really gone the distance in making it such an eco, um, you know, sustain. I mean, s- sustainable. I guess that would be a word of that probably a lot of people aren't going as far as you guys have gone on, on really taking care of nature and just the whole cycle. It's really cool. It all, it is our goal. Uh, and we are working diligently year after year to uh, uh, cover more of these points that make us uh, really independent, that make us sustainable. And of course we are also local and the interesting thing is that basically we are local for United States as well, because there are just a few farms. So when we, we are comparing ourselves to farms from other uh, continents, we are still local even for someone from New York, mm-hmm. but definitely local for California. And, and, and really we created, uh, we created a, um, let's just say, um, a name for ourselves that is recognized, that is recognized as one of the pioneers of the farming, certain farming industry. And uh, um, we do everything to be as sustainable as possible. By the way, two years ago in Washington Post, there was an article, and this article was actually written by uh, the people from UC Davis that was called Closing the Loop on Sustainable Aquaculture. And that was about us. You can read it even now if you Google it. 
uh, there is a video attached to it. And it is about us, about how we are utilizing the fish farm in order to sustain the aquaponic uh, uh, portion of our business. Mm-hmm. Also, as a tidbit, uh, three years ago, uh, our caviar went into space. We are the first American company that oh, wow. caviar into space. Uh, NASA uh, called us and they ordered caviar as a gift for the Russian astronauts. Oh, that's so cool. One of the SpaceX uh, rackets uh, took the caviar uh, uh, to the International Space Station. Wow. That's funny. <laughs> it's when awesome. You, yeah, when you're going to greet a Russian that's been been up in space by themselves for for over a year, that's probably a good thing to show up with some caviar in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to make friends. Oh, man. And well, holidays. Sandra, yep, right? Sorry, I want to ask, are you, I don't know if I dreamt this or if I'm if this is a thing, I remember some sort of infused caviar and I thought it was a Sar Nikolai product. And, and I even remember it being like key lime or something. There was some sort of infused caviar. Yes. Is there a product line out there that's an infused caviar? Yes, there is. We are using the whitefish roll, which is a product of the Great Lakes. And it's, it's Basically, obviously, it's a very light-colored caviar. There's a reason it's the fish is also it's a white fish. There is a reason it's called the white fish or the golden white fish. So the rolls are um, a pale uh, yellow, uh, and uh, we infuse them with basically just about anything you'd like. If we can find the product, we'll infuse it for you. But our main products are truffle infused, saffron infused. Wasabi infused, ginger infused. What do you do with all that? Uh, it's uh, basically, of course, it's a very economical um, uh, option for okay. restaurants mm-hmm. or even for individuals uh, that maybe do not have the budget for for the real caviar. Mm-hmm. Mm. And yeah, I'm imagining are like made a, only and only with with natural products. Yeah, Sandra, can you imagine a potato chip with a little bit of uh, creme fraiche and then a truffle infused caviar? How amazing the combination would be! No, no, we're doing it the opposite way. We are <laughs> offering the caviar with truffle potato chips. Yeah. Oh my God. So instead of blini, that's what we're we're um, selling the package with. But I don't know, like for me, I would be a purist. I would be, I just want the real deal. Um, I don't know. I never, I've never tasted infused, but yeah, I can see it. I can see it. I can see chefs having fun with it. Yeah. Well, in the colors, does, I thought maybe the key lime one was actually like a green color or something that I had seen. The green was the wasabi. Wasabi. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. So um, typically, well, you harvest all year round since it's a farm. You're you're not limited to nature's call or... We are are limited uh, by nature's call. So the harvest season, uh, it's pretty much uh, 
the months of January, February. Mm -hmm. But we do, uh, but we are tweaking it and uh, we are extending the, uh, the harvest season. Mm -hmm. And then I'm guessing this between Valentine's Day and the holidays, New Year's, those are, are the busiest commercial days? Well, obviously caviar is perceived as uh, something related to holidays. Mm -hmm. Number one to the winter holidays. So uh, uh, caviar consumption really uh, grows with, uh, with um, Thanksgiving. Oh, all the way, all the way to all the way to New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. and then there is uh, another spike, obviously for Valentine's Day, mm -hmm. and then smaller spikes for uh, Easter and for Mother's Day. Okay. And then it's kind of a lull, but we do have our uh, rose and we do have our smoked uh, fish products mm -hmm. that are going year round. And on the retail level, there is always caviar consumption. Right, right. So the stores that carry caviar, they are selling caviar throughout the year. Of course, they still have the same peaks, right. but uh, caviar consumption doesn't die down. It just slows down. Right, it's not like fig season, you know, fresh no. figs, they stop when they're done <laughs> and then you have to wait. Oh man, Brian, did you get all your answers answered, your questions answered? I think so. I'm, I was just telling Sandra, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago that I was in the, the, a certain section of our local Oliver's market here. And I saw that right next to where they had the, the liquor section with the wines and the spirits, that they had a special little section that had Bellwether Farms Creme Fresh, the Sar Nikolai different uh, caviars, and and the potato chips were right there as well. And so I was, it's 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 good timing, Sandra. I don't know how you knew. <laughs> how I caviar, knew. <laughs> caviar has been on my mind. Yeah, I have, too. I have a proposition. Maybe uh, we should uh, have another edition. Of, uh, of this show when you are at the farm and when you are in the water, in the tank with the sturgeon. Okay, Brian can be in the water in the tank. I'm gonna stay up top. Oh, Sandra, come I'm on. I'm not getting in the water. They're, the, the sturgeon are actually great with the people that they have handling them. They're, they're quite docile, right, Otto? They're, they, 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 they hold them in their hands. I'll, yeah. I'll film you. I'll film you. Yeah. Oh my God. But I think I would love that. And I would also love to, um, you know, it would be fun to do a tasting also and like try and describe, you know, the different flavors and. Of course um, we, we could have a, a comprehensive tasting. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. And so, we're going to find some good vodka. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not hard either. Um, so if people, I mean, obviously this is probably not the best time to visit, but it, when things get back to normal, um, can the general public come out to the farm or mostly just um, for the trade? Well, it's mostly for the trade, but uh, 
during uh, uh, the off season, we do offer um, uh, a few pools as well. Nice. So yes, the general public, they are um, more than welcome to contact us and we would put them on uh, a list and we would notify them when we have a tour available for the general public. Uh, also, we can organize uh, uh, special events at the farm and the special event could be mm. a really, really fancy caviar tasting. Oh, so nice. that is possible. Uh, that would be um, in addition to the normal farm tours. Yeah, where 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 is the farm located? The farm is in a small town called Wilton, and it is next to Elk Grove. Oh, which is just southeast of uh, uh, downtown Sacramento. Hmm. Yeah, which you can imagine, Sandra, in the summertime. So, I always thought that sturgeon were like super cold water fish, but then I was surprised when I saw where Sar Nikolai was because you think of it, especially in the summer, as being like a hundred degrees, um, mm -hmm. you know, in the summertime. But you must have some sort of. Is there a certain temperature you have to keep the water at? I remember, the sturgeon lives in the Sacramento River. Right. The right. Sacramento River is not a cold river. Right. Uh, because again, it flows through the 100 degree uh, countryside, uh, but uh, the water is regulated by the well water. Remember the well water keeps a certain temperature, mm -hmm. fairly stable year round. So in the summer, it cools down a little bit the water and in the winter, it warms up a little bit the water that is circulated through the tanks. Mm -hmm. So it's like a moderator and a regulator mm -hmm. of the well water. Hmm. And I have one last question. I'm wondering if in your brood tank, if you have named some of these fish. No, no, since <laughs> we didn't. But look, each and every fish in our uh, brood tank is tagged. So if you want, we can have a sort of like a I don't know if it's a competition, but some sort of a, where we can have input from people. And uh, name yeah, how to name our, uh, our sturgeon. Okay. The that ladies and the gentlemen. Uh-huh. That's very cute. Oh my goodness. So can people find you on Instagram? Yes, uh, absolutely. Okay, well, we'll add it to the show notes. Um, yeah, we are on Instagram, we are on Facebook, we okay. have our website at sarnikolai.com. Um, it's uh, then uh, the hashtag, the real sarnikolai, okay. and the other okay. one is sarnikolai.com. I mean, sarnikolai on, on Facebook. Okay. Um, can people buy online from the website or they need to find a retailer? They can they are always welcome to purchase on our website. Okay. And they are, of course, welcome to go to any retail uh, establishment that carries our products. Yes. And when you're listening to this episode, you actually still have time to go to 2020 Fig Holidays dot square site 
to purchase caviar for your holidays if you're in Sonoma. I hope I hope a lot of people will do that. Oh, from your mouth to God's ears, I agree. <laughs> we, would, we, would, we would love to be swamped by orders coming uh, to your uh, site, Sandra. Yeah, would be very fun. Well, I know I'm definitely going to order some for me. Um, well, this was so much fun. It's so informative. I'm sure we just are scratching the surface, but knowing how busy you are, we'll let you get back to work. Um, thank you. And, I, and Otto, I hope that we get to see your your delivery people um, sometime soon again at the at the Fairmont in Sonoma. I really hope so, Brian. You're gonna work because on we it. We really did it up right. I mean, we did it with the traditional, with the Bellini and the diced uh, egg white and yolk and red onion and caper. And I mean, it was, it, it's it's an incredible experience if you ever get a chance. Yeah. I will. Uh, I will certainly try one day. Yeah. Got to get talk Edward into it. That's what we got to do. We got to. Yeah get things somewhat back to normal here. And, exactly. We really uh, hope that the, after the vaccine will show up and then we'll return to our normal life. I hope so. I That's hope right. So. There's a light. There's a light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, happy, happy, happy holidays. And thank you for joining us. Really. Happy holidays that. for everyone. And thank you very much, Sandra. And thank you very much, Brian. And I hope that a lot of people will visit your restaurant in Sonoma. And they will go also to the Fairmont, Brian. Yes. And also uh, people will go to the site and will purchase uh, yep. the uh, caviar and the other goodies that you have over there, Sandra. They won't be disappointed. That's for sure. We guarantee that they will not be disappointed. Yes. Again, happy right, holidays and thank you for having me here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, listeners out there, if you'd like to check out some of our past episodes, go to thebikegoeson.com. Sandra puts up some great content uh, and information. Check us out on all your social media platforms, at Bike Talk on Instagram, all the different platforms for downloading on your podcasts. And give us a review. Give us a five-star review. Give us a like. If you'd like to send in a comment, um, hit us up on our email and send in some suggestions uh, for guests, if you'd like. And happy holidays, everyone. We look forward to talking to you next week.